0: Welcome, everyone. Welcome, everyone. How are we doing? Uh, Thank you for tuning in. As always, I'll give you my short little uh, sales pitch here. But first and foremost, we're gonna be talking a little bit about why someone trains with us. So the topic of why someone trains with us, how that fits in the whole realm of performance and some other thought provoking topics. But first and foremost, let me give you my little sales pitch here. I'm just giving you guys the opportunity if you want to, to try out my seven day free trial to the always an athlete team. If that is something you think you'd like and you'd enjoy, you'd enjoy kind of training like an athlete again. And so you can, you know, still do athletic things. I lift weights because I like to do things outside the weight room. I like lifting weight. Just don't get me wrong. I like playing sports at a high level as well, too. And I find that if, you know, I can do things in the weight room to support my hobbies and activities I enjoy, it's a win-win. So that's kind of the idea that always an athlete team. We train to be explosive and athletic, but we don't miss out on some of the aesthetics too, right? we do some dumbbell curls, we do some side raises, we do the fun stuff as well. So if that's your cup of tea, give it a try seven day free trial on the train heroic app. Give it a go. And uh, you know you guys might enjoy it. So let's hop right in here. Today, we're talking a little bit about kind of the whole world of training and performance and all things in between. Um, there's a couple of topics I want to cover within that domain, why someone trains with us, the idea of injury reduction and mitigation. And if we're looking at it from a model of uh, an entire team, what are some interesting avenues we can discuss there. And then also in a team setting, talking about value creation and um, value extraction. And I actually want to start with that one first. So in a team setting, let's pretend I am a general manager here and I have acquired a bunch of players, a bunch of players. They all have some type of value. Now in this situation here, I have a coach. I have my performance staff. My performance staff is filled with, well, performance staff people, things like your strength coach, your um, performance psychologist, dietitian, so on and so forth, skills coaches as well. In this setting, there's only two kind of areas. We'll we'll, we'll just say like this, only there's two areas you can look at value. You can look at value extraction. That's up to the coach. So every player. In theory, has some value that they could provide to the team. In the best setting possible, it is up to the coach to get the highest amount of value, summative value, out of the entire team. So, in that situation, it is the coach's job to extract the most amount of value out of a player, not value creation. A coach is not going to be there to help someone acquire new skills. And talking about like the head coach, they're not going to teach them to acquire new physical abilities. That's what the performance staff does. So the performance staff is designed to help create value. They might be able to take an individual, and they might be able to assess, hey, you know, this person they need to work on. Um, the general manager said, "Look, we broke down their whole process of, uh, of prospects as why they're on the team. They're someone who would provide a lot more value." If they could defend better and if they could play transition better, so faster pace and they could shoot better. Well, as a performance staff, we can allocate those into certain areas of emphases. Like maybe the defense is a mixture of physical and skill. Maybe just being able to sprint faster is why they can't play the cha- the transition game very well. So that's very much a physical side. And then the shooting side is much less physical and more of the skill world. And so it begins to happen you begin to have certain step aspects of your staff to work in harmony to create value. So you get a player now who can defend better. You get a player who can um, you know, shoot better because they work with the skills, and they have a player who can then sprint the court better. And so now we have created value. Now it's up to the coach to extract that value. And what's really interesting here is then in this setting, the idea of value creation allows you for for greater um, asset leveraging, like you've developed this player. They're now strong and powerful. They do a lot of things better. They're under the original contract at which they were originally valued at. And now they can be traded at certain uh, rates at a higher exchange than what their current value on contract is. It's very enticing to get a player who doesn't have a very big contract, provides lots of value, who otherwise would have a big contract if they were acutely you just value them in the moment in time. That's the whole idea of a contract. So the point of this, though, and I'm talking about this idea of value creation, because whether you're not in the private sector or whether you're not, or whether or not you're in the you know professional setting, people come to work with you, especially in the private sector, because you can help generate value to them. You have the you are in, in essence an investment they have made. They are paying you money in return. To get something out of it. Um, And being very clear in that situation allows for the conversation to take place to be meaningful. Because I think it's really important that an athlete understands that when they're spending money on their body, they're spending it as an investment. They're spending it on, say, to train with myself because they think I can provide certain types of value. However, value creation is very contextual. I could have an athlete come to me and they said, hey, Max, I'm going to pay you for your training time. And then I might arbitrarily go, "Okay, I'm going to assess you and we're going to do all these tests and I'm going to determine that hmm, you do not move uh, laterally very well. You're not as explosive laterally. Okay, so we spend all summer jumping laterally and we get very explosive laterally. It turns out that this player is a sprinter <laughs> and they never move laterally. And all they do is sprint. So I got them really good at one thing, but they never actually move laterally in their sport. So their value add is zero. Now that's a really weird extreme example, but I think you get the idea. The value add is contextual. So if I have someone and they want to come train with me, it's very important we discuss what is true value and how do you get value out of a situation? And in the situation that you're trading for, we can appraise whether or not your investment in myself made any sense. And so in doing this, it's all a value exchange. This is the same concept and idea of a value exchange that I have when I make this podcast. Talking to the podcast verse, in the acute term, I might not be accruing any value, but I'm investing my time with an attempt to get value out of it on the other end. Maybe a meeting with a GM. I'd love to talk to you. If anyone knows a GM out there, professional setting, specifically basketball, I'd love to have this conversation. So I'm throwing it out there. Point is, I'm building the podcasts or my social media stuff with the idea that every time I'm investing, I'm getting some sort of value return, whether I'm learning how to do something better or it actually acutely leads to monetary value. Same thing again, when it comes to someone who is in the setting of working with athletes, I could randomly show, oh man, that athlete, you don't move laterally very well. I could create a deficiency. I could then improve the deficiency. And my mere existence is based on the value of improving an arbitrary deficiency versus it could be a conversation to say, well, what's really limiting your ability in sport? And let's try and generate value around that. So there's the key difference. One is an athlete-centric model through which value creation is specifically defined by the athlete's value at the moment and their projected value in the future. And another one is an arbitrary assessment through which I point out a deficiency and then uh, impose value by solving a deficiency, yet that deficiency being improved or not improved has no causal relationship with an increase in their ability to perform their sport and therefore value. And this is so important because there's an economics at all levels. There's an economics at the macro view. If I am a general manager and I want to create players value as a team and aggregate whole, look, I want the entire team to have certain types of value for certain reasons, trade assets, help them make more money, whatever it might be. As a player, you're trying to generate value and as a coach, you're trying to provide value. What happens here when there's a lack of line of continuity between maybe the general manager all the way down to the staff in regards to specific reasons why a player is doing X, Y, and Z? Then we have a confusion in value. So at each sub-layer, someone tries to create value. The GM might pick a player. They might t- tell the performance staff exactly what they see in them and where they project them to be. So the performance staff is left guessing, and they have to then decide... Mm, let's assess and appraise this person. We'll find some arbitrary deficiencies that may or may not be justified. We're going to point out those deficiencies, improve those deficiencies, showcase, look, we made these deficiencies no longer deficient. Therefore, that is our value and value creation is assumed versus actually being proven. And so that whole concept is what should drive a lot of our training models, the economics of training. Because the economics of training is something that we should all consider. At the end of the day, there is some exchange. In the same way, there's an economics to uh, your time being spent on social media and your ability to make content and drive traffic. That's one aspect of the economics. And ironically, there are corollaries to that in regards to the performance world in terms of the economics of you are providing value. But in this case, your consumer is not the person on Instagram. Your consumer is the athlete and the aggregate team as a whole. So uh, I hope that's an interesting concept because it it hopefully draws some clarity as to why I get so wildly frustrated in these situations when I think about the performance model because I don't think the solution actually comes from the performance staff. I don't think the strength staff or whatever performance staff is actually the people who are going to have the best means of analyzing this process, I think it has to come from the higher up and it has to be architecture, an architect way or an architectural archetype form. right word for that. Can't think of it at the moment, somewhere from the highest levels. So they can have a bird's eye view in the whole thing to actually have some level of architecture to the plan. So that's something I've been kind of chewing on an idea I was thinking about. And then another interesting idea as well, by the way, as I'm just sharing kind of interesting ideas on this topic, is the idea of injury prevention and reduction. I think research has done a good job identifying certain areas where injury prevention and reduction have gotten better. There are a lot of arguments around it. Like, look, there are some variables you just really cannot control because the body is a complex system. We might have um, non or unable to predict certain outcomes while we can mitigate and reduce the likelihood and make things maybe a little less risky. It does not negate the likelihood to make it an absolute zero. So another reason why value creation is so important on a team is that one of the best ways to mitigate a loss, an injury, is to have your reserve player not be as far of a drop-off. So if my current player, let just use arbitrary numbers, is an 80 out of 100, and that person goes down, and my reserve player is a 55, well, that's a 25 point difference. Versus my reserve player being a 70, it's a 10 point difference. And the best ways to mitigate the negative impact of an injury on the macro scale for a team is to actually have a higher value player who is their replacement, someone who has less of a drop off. How you define that value is very important because it could not, it might just not be value in terms of their assets, what they provide, their shooting abilities, but their relative value in terms of refilling the role. And so they can keep uh, the machinery of the offense going or whatever it might be. Obviously there's certain stars out there who you cannot replicate because they are just that amazing. But at certain levels, I would argue that it comes to be a little closer in regards to maybe you might lose a, even a starter or a sixth man. Can their reserve or fill in be a less of a fall off. So, Again, an interesting concept there, because when we start to look at value, we start to begin to really appraise like, hey, when someone is unable to play a game, what's the negative aspect of them not playing the game? It's not the fact that they can't play the game. It's the fact the person you're putting into the game is less than that person. And that's a really important concept, like first principles thinking, when you start to think about what is truly the problem. Talking about someone not able to play a game, it's not the fact that you know a great athlete might not be able to play a game. and Michael Jordan can't play. It's the fact the person filling in for Michael Jordan is nowhere near Michael Jordan, and that's a really important concept to understand. Truly important because it allows you to actually look at the problem as a whole. Um, and when you look at things through different lenses, or even through the most basic lens—that is, the, the the lowest common truth we can find you can begin to look at certain solutions and problems to those uh, or at least solutions to those problems. And so that's why I enjoy talking about this on this podcast here, because it does allow me to have um, some creative thought on here that hopefully you guys can listen to and be like, oh, uh, you know, that that is interesting. It's like the idea of, you know, why do we lift weights? What is the actual foundational aspect of why we lift weights, especially let's say in a professional setting? It's probably one of two reasons, in all honesty. Um, you could argue three. We'll give you all three reasons here. One, there might be some general aspect to injury reduction by just lifting weights. Um, I think there is some research around that that would suggest it, so we'll go with it. I'll give that one to people because I know it's often an argument. Um, number two is the maintenance of physical qualities that allow for the expression of skill. We don't just develop physical qualities. There's no point... To have some type of physical quality if it's not going to reduce injury and it's not going to support skill. there really isn't. So within those two subdomains, it's the maintenance of so sorry, the first one's the injury prevention and the next two are kind of like a1 and A2. I guess B1 and B2. If a1 is, my goodness, if a first one is we'll go one. If number one is injury prevention, injury reduction. Number two a and 2B, are going to be maintenance of physical abilities and improvement of physical abilities. And maintenance of physical abilities to sustain specific skills and maintenance and improvement of physical abilities to create new specific skills. For example, let's just say we had Michael Jordan again. And Michael Jordan, let's just use something very specific or very arbitrary, but specific. So for some reason, let's just pretend this is not accurate. This is not facts, just an example. Michael Jordan, he jumps 40 inches, okay? And in order, Michael Jordan uses that explosive in his games. So the idea of jumping 40 inches is an inferential metric to his explosiveness. Michael Jordan isn't concerned with jumping 44 inches. He already jumps 40 inches. So his career, he simply wants to maintain that 40 inch vertical jump throughout his career. So he can express his skills at the highest level because they utilize that 40 inch jump. So if it goes down to 38, we know something's going on. And we can try and push it back up. We try to maintain it. Not necessarily push it any further because a further improvement might not yield much benefit. Number two within that, as I take my deep breath, is that um, we want to create the physical abilities. So we have, we have someone who's not Michael Jordan, but they want to develop a Michael Jordan like jump shot or explosiveness. And they, again, in an overly simplified world, need to get to 40 inch vertical in order to have a turnaround fadeaway jump shot again far too overly simplified and they have a 36 inch vertical well they can never shoot a michael jordan jump shot until they can jump 40 inches and so we're going to create that value to jump 40 inches so then they too can express the skill that michael jordan has in that fadeaway jump shot so now we have two reasons to train we have the reason for value for creation of physical qualities to then be uh, fostering new skills. Then we have the maintenance of physical qualities to continue the expression of specific skills. Those are two a and two B categories of training with number one is that general aspect of possible injury prevention and reduction. However, you could lump number one into two a and two B because you are going to be lifting regardless. And so it's not like they're going to be somehow different in nature to an extent. And so now we start to look at why we lift weights. Another example within that realm is like, say we have Michael Jordan again. Michael Jordan had been doing random exercises. Let's say he's been doing lots of dumbbell overhead pressing. And that's an example for his upper body mass and strength. However, Michael Jordan actually doesn't use any of the upper body strength in his game. Again, just for the sake of example. Yes, I'm sure Michael Jordan uses upper body strength. This is just an example. Let's say over time as Michael Jordan ages, he loses some of that upper body strength. Is that a concern? Well, the answer is no The answer. is not a concern because it doesn't play a factor in his expression of skill. We could argue that the upper body strength plays no factor in his likelihood of getting hurt. So therefore the reduction in a motor quality, like physical strength of the upper body plays no significance. So, What we're really trying to do here is identify what truly matters. You would not say that a high jumper would care if their bench press went down. They're not trying to be a professional bench presser. They're a high jumper. So the the, uh, general acceptance of physical qualities is inaccurate. We should not accept all physical qualities to be equal. Certain physical qualities are far more significant, far, far more significant when we are working with an athlete that uses those physical qualities to express a skill. Certain physical qualities are far more useless. They're useless because they don't provide any aspect of energy prevention or reduction, nor do they provide any aspect of improved skill or maintenance of a skill. And so when we start to look at the value creation model, we can look at the ability to create the physiology to support a skill, and then we can actually create the skill. Only then together are we creating value that is useful, not this arbitrary value that is only occurring because we looked at someone move, we saw some discrepancies in their movement, some deficiencies relative to whatever we are comparing it to, saw the uh, gap between their ability and what could be an to move, and then filled the gap and said, look, we created value because we removed a deficiency, yet that deficiency had no benefit. It'd be like getting Michael Jordan's upper body mass back. He's less massive, stronger than upper body wise than he was before. So we'll get him stronger again. But that strength actually had no utility in his skill. So it's a waste of time. It is creating fake value or playing pretend essentially. And that's inarguable. Um, I, I think some of these things are pretty much inarguable, which is why I talk about them. And I don't think a lot of people want to hear them. And I think i these podcasts out might make a lot of people kind of upset. But again, I'm putting them out there because I think this is the way to do it. And I'm going to go on record saying this is the way I think it should be done. This is the way I strive to do it. And ultimately, I'd love to talk to people who are in the position to do things differently and see what they have to say. Um, But again, I find it very difficult to argue the economics of it at the base level. Of understanding what we do and trying to be the best we can be at it. Because at the beginning of the day, there is an economics of value creation, and we all win from that. The player wins, they become better at their sport. They're worth more money. <laughs> what player doesn't want to be better at their sport and play more? What staff doesn't want a better player? It is a win win. And heck, they even become an asset to trade. So it's a win win win. If you guys are fans of The Office, it's the rare Michael Scott win 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 situation. So I think it's a, it's something that should be talked about and that idea of really understanding why the principles of what we're trying to accomplish, right, those first principles, the very underlying truths of what is occurring, like the injury example. The issue isn't necessarily someone cannot play a game. It's the fact that their fill-in isn't very good relative to them. That's the issue. The issue is not that they're not training or they're not getting better in the weight room or whatever. The issue is the skills they're developing or the strengths they're developing in the weight room might not be fostering a new skill. It might not be purposeful. They might be just simply working out to fill a deficiency that was pointed out because anyone can find discrepancies in anything and then they can change the discrepancy. I could have anyone try and touch their toes and say, look, you didn't get low enough, so you should touch lower. I can train you to touch your toes even further. They have lots of flexibility. Does that flexibility provide any value to you? Probably not. Probably zero utility. Did I improve your flexibility? Sure. Can I tout your flexibility as a value add? I suppose I can tout it. Absolutely. But is it actually a value add? The answer is probably not. And that's inarguable, especially if we could say factually that flexibility added provided no value in the fostering of any skill, injury reduction, prevention, or maintenance of a physical quality to uh, contain and maintain a skill. So I'll leave it there for now. Uh, I don't want to ramble on too long, but again, please share these kind of, these kind of, uh, these podcasts out there and if you guys enjoy them. I hope you do make you think a little bit. Uh, thank you and take care.